0: Hi, everyone, and welcome back to The Color Authority. This is Judith Van Vliet, podcasting out of Milan, Italy. Today, I'm going to be interviewing Patty Carpenter. She's principal of Carpenter and & Company and an award-winning designer in globally sourced home decor, accessories, fragrance, and gifts. She has experience in product design and development, merchandising, and color and trend forecasting. She is a micro-enterprise specialist with U.S. presidential recognition for domestic and international expertise in, yes, artisan development, small producer, and entrepreneurial training and economical development. She has designed and sourced private label collections for Bloomingdale's, Neiman Marcus, Crate & Barrel, The Phillips Collection, ABC Carbon & Home, Donna Karen, Urban Zen, and Ralph Lauren. She has worked in 57 countries. She's an expert in color and trend research and forecasting and consults with Pantone. She's a global trend ambassador for Maison Objet Paris and an active board member of CERF, international one for the founding organizations of the World Fair Trade Organization. She's also part of the Black Artist and Designer Guild, the High School of Fashion Industries, and the Stock Financial Library, as well as co-founder of the Kaleidoscope Project. She's recipient of the Gift for Life Industry Achievement Award for 2021 and the Wizard Industry Leadership Award for 2021 for indeed the kaleidoscope project that we will be talking about. Good morning, Patty, and welcome to the Color Authority. How are you today?
1: Good morning. It's so great to be with you. <laughs> I'm so happy to be talking with you. And I'm well, all things considered.
0: <laughs> all things considered. It's been crazy time. And I know I've had difficulties in catching you, um, you know, because you've been traveling a lot. So we're going to be talking about that too, because I can't wait to hear what you've seen and what colors you think are coming up. But the very first question that I always ask to everybody on podcast is, what is color? So what is color to you personally, Patty?
1: Well, I loved when you sent some of the questions over and I just read that. I thought, my gosh, that's such a basic and beautiful question. And as I started uh, sort of talking to myself about what is that? uh, For me, it's a language through which I feel like I have a dialogue with the world. I think in color. I dream in color. Color makes me salivate. So I know that it's a very intrinsic thing to me. And what I kind of landed on is at the end of the day, color is life. It really is that thing that just can refresh and renew me. I found that out this past weekend over the 4th of July here in the United States when uh, friends that we usually go to visit for the last several years up, who are in upstate in the green <laughs> and right across from a beautiful river, one of the, the best trout fishing rivers in, in New York, that when we weren't able to go up there, I really felt this pressure. Yeah. Of Oh, my gosh, I'm going to be forced to stay in this city. And I was really having an emotional reaction to that. And And when we were invited to other friends up in Connecticut, and I was able to be out in nature out in the green, I realized how much it really is true for me that color is life, it refreshes and renews me.
0: It regenerates, right? And especially the colors of nature, yes.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. It's so necessary. I think for all of us, of course, as humans, but certainly I think some of us just resonate with it in a very deep way. And I think you and I are of that, of that tribe.
0: <laughs> yes. Yes. We are of the color tribe, the color marketing group tribe, of course. And that's also how we, how we connected. But When we very first connected privately, you mentioned that you've been traveling the world and I'm not sure if it was a joke, but you said I did 80 days around the globe, you know, traveling for color and trends and design inspiration. So I know you can't mention all of it, but where do you go for inspiration and what was Let's say your most memorable color moments.
1: Oh, that's interesting. Well, yes. When we talked last, I felt I did feel like I'd been around the world in eighty days. And I, at that point, will share I was in within a three month period. I was in. I started off with Maison, which was moved from from uh, January to March. So I'm starting with that March period as an example. And I was in uh, in in Paris, in Venice, in Morocco in terms of international places, working differently on each one of those. And then uh, here in the U.S., I was in Dallas three times and down to High Point. <laughs> so it really was uh, this sense of that I was finally back at that place where we were getting on planes all the time and moving around. But I love what color looks like around the world. And, I was, and in terms of sharing a color moment, one of, I'd never been to Venice. I've been to Italy many times a lot when I was in the fashion industry, less as I do um, some of our international development work with artisans. So I was really looking forward to it. We went for the Biennale. And so there was a tremendous amount of color and art, obviously. But for me, the color moment in Venice was the sky. I love Italy. And I've always said that I, I was trained initially as a fine artist prior to going into fashion and then into color and trend for home, etc. And I always appreciated the skies in Italy because you understood for me where Renaissance painters got their palette and those sunrises and sunsets in Venice were just mouthwatering and certainly like I was standing inside a Renaissance painting. So that was at, at one point, certainly I can say a color moment. And if I can have two, I was in Fez for the first time, first trip to Morocco as well. And so you can imagine the color of Morocco in an ancient city in this the largest Medina in the world, color and fragrance and pattern and everything just coming at you all at once. It was pretty pretty extraordinary. So I would say uh, the colors inside the Medina, that incredible Moroccan palette, and then the colors of the sky of Venice certainly were the things that were feeding my soul during those incredibly crazy trips.
0: (laughs) See Now, I, I knew you went to Morocco, of course. So my, my, my thought when I was going to ask you this question, I, I was certainly it was going to be at least Morocco. Yeah. <laughs> I, I've, I've been as well, but I first went to Marrakech and then I went to Fez. So I was wow. slightly less impressed with Fez because after Marrakech. Yes it's just but I did get lost in the first Medina which yeah. I, apparently that's a must so I did yes. get lost and I had to pay <laughs> little boys to take me to out. Take
1: you out exactly <laughs> so exactly so we went for a fabulous dinner at Noor which everyone had told me I needed to do I don't know if you got there but yeah the whole thing the whole time we're eating and enjoying and then it's we look up and it's 11 o'clock at night you know and pitch black out we're like how are we going to get out of here and then it was, of course someone has to take you out so. yeah
0: they cut the lights yeah, yeah. most yeah. Well, at least in Africa, but also in, in the Middle East, indeed, at, at night. Yeah. But yeah. the indigo blue uh, from the Sahara—nothing yeah. like
1: it, it. Yeah. nothing like it. And there, and the green—I was th- this because this is my first time. Several friends who've been to both Marrakesh and Fez said Fez is actually uh, the best place to go first. Marrakesh is a little more touristy. And so you have a lot more of a different kind of energy, whereas Fez is an ancient city and, you know, certainly the seat of so much, so many firsts in the world, the first university. But that green tile that they use, um, I was not prepared for that beautiful level (laughs) of green. And and I really thought I was going to see much more blue. And so it was really lovely to kind of go oh this is interesting you know
0: <laughs> yeah next time i want to go to chef shahawen you know the blue because oh. i didn't uh-huh. get to go and I'm, I'm definitely going to that one as well imagine yes. the city just in the color of blue
1: Oh, me too. We're definitely, I told them, uh, next time I come back, we're going to visit some other, I was doing artisan work there. That's part of the other side of the work that I do is artisan development. So I was there for nine days working with artisans and it was incredible. Absolutely incredible.
0: I can can only imagine. What have you noticed trend-wise and color-wise, generally while you were traveling? Where do you think things are moving in the next period of time?
1: Well, what's interesting to me is I think Europe was on uh, ahead of the US in this, but I certainly see this explosion of optimistic color, we've been calling it. The really bright colors, the bold colors, um, some of them with a bit of nostalgia to the 70s and 80s. They're a little warmer in their mm-hmm. tones. Um, but that idea of of needing that sense of hope and optimism as we emerge from these years of just anxiety and tension and all the rest of the, all the, all the feels as several of my friends say. It hasn't um, stopped. So yes, yeah, we're yes, not there. Exactly. We're not completely out. Absolutely. Uh, but one can hope. <laughs> and, and so that sense of that hopefulness, that optimism, I saw it in, in Europe first and it took a while here and I'm seeing it now much more strongly as we go into 23, 24 that there is more of a focus on that. For me, certainly the family of Greens, I have been very focused on for the last six, six, eight years. And I see that continuing. They just sort of shift. And I think it's that that whole sense of um, what I was just talking about that need for the human connection, that biophilia we 've been talking about as a, you know as a macro trend, but that sense that we do have a symbiotic connection to nature and that it does refresh and renew and rejuvenate us, so that, that family I think is will continue to be strong, and then certainly I, i've been talking about a shift to the warm side of the palate so we're seeing all of the warms the yellows the oranges the corals the, the terracotta back again yeah. yeah yeah they they just they are i think again it's that intrinsic kind of connection we have i've been calling that whole family of terracottas sort of kind and kindred Because we know those colors from our ancient selves. You know, we carried water in terracotta pots. We housed ourselves with roofs of terracotta tile. And I think that that's a connection that we as humans really have to that palette as well. So I think those kinds of colors, and then completely to the other side, white. We are seeing so many whites, right? Just that white right every sofa you saw at the shows you know they show these humongous things in white so thank god for for fabrics that are resistant because we're gonna see a lot of white
0: it's amazing how indeed those warm tones came to completely and and indeed the white and the softer the softer whites the off whites it was very interesting the softer grays still a little bit but more the whites yeah beautiful
1: Yeah. So those would be where I where I'm kind of focusing right now and where I see my clients focusing.
0: Yeah. So you have quite the track record. I read your biography and of course I knew you already, but I was like, wow, okay. <laughs> How did you get where you are? And and and, and also because I know there's a lot of young professionals listening, you know, and that's why they listen. They they want to know because I think we both get a lot of emails like, How do I, you know, become yeah. a color professional? How do I become a color expert? Can you talk a little bit about how, I mean, you just mentioned Ralph Lauren previously when we were talking, you went from corporate and now you're technically on your, on your own and you're doing so many different things, but how did this, I mean, it wasn't linear. I can imagine. No,
1: no, no. I don't think I have to say, I tell students all the time because I speak and, and work at lots of schools and and I tell all creatives, especially it is not a linear path. And we must be open to that nonlinear thinking and that nonlinear path for me. It started in fine art in Washington, D.C. And, and, and theater arts, I, I trained in, a bit in theater and dance. Uh, Debbie Allen was my dance teacher when I was in high school <laughs> um, and going to a workshop for careers in the arts. Um, but I took my paintings and, and, and fine art skills and brought them to New York and went to FIT as, and got two degrees, one in fashion illustration, I've always drawn, and one in fashion design. Uh, I went to 7th Avenue and was a designer for 27 years, working with people like Bill Blass and Oscar de la Renta, um, Adrian Vitadini, Gloria Vanderbilt. You know, I, I was I'm old or older. <laughs> and then I've done a lot at this point point. and ending with Ralph. I left Ralph in 2000 and I left because I could see fashion becoming what I see it has become and it is less interesting to me. It was a really fascinating place to be in the late 70s, all through the 80s and the 90s. It was a really booming, um, you know, uh, uh, industry. I traveled a great deal. I saw much of the world. I, I, you know, went to factories. I understood how fabrics were made. We really got into, you know, the the understanding of of how uh, how how clothing comes to be. And so I took that understanding of how one really goes from a concept to the consumer. And I, I put it into my own consultancy, which I started in August of 2000. So I'm coming up on 22 years oh, of being on my own. I know. Thank you. And and what I, what I left to do initially was the artisan development work. I'd been working with an organization uh, called Aid to Artisans that I still work with 25 years later, 26 years later. And um, they work with helping artisans bring whatever they make by hand to market, whether it's a local, regional, or export market. And I I came to that through someone in the fashion industry, uh, one of the people that was the founder of the Santa Fe Folk Art Festival, Judy Espinar. And Judy uh, and I had dinner one night after she'd just come back from a trip to Kyrgyzstan. She was on the board of Eight Artisans, and she asked Mm me, you know, you have such a connection to how things are done. I think you'd really enjoy this. You should reach out to them. So I did. And they responded. And for five years, I worked with them as part of their designer roundtable, which was a few times a year. And we'd look at products from all over the world. And we'd look at a piece of, of ceramic from somewhere and we'd go, where else can this be? What else could this be used for? How can we broaden their market? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And in 2000, they called and said, we have this, this um, project in Mali. And I'd never been to Africa. I'd always wanted to go. And it was a cotton project. And that's why they called me because it was a textile project. And for three years, I would be working, going to Mali about a month at a time, each time over the three years. And the balance of the time I'd be working here, uh, trying to assist them with keeping money in Mali for Mali and cotton. It was the second largest producer of cotton at the time in, in Africa, but it made no money. All the value added was sent to China. And right, see, it breaks your heart. So there was no way I could do that and keep my full-time job at that point as a VP at Ralph. And I just said, yes, I'd like to do it. And so I I left, and I haven't looked back. I've been to 58 countries, working with artisans, helping them to bring what they make, whatever it is by hand. I've I've gone way beyond textiles at this point. I work in whatever they work in, and it is fascinating. It feeds my soul. It is part of what make what is passionate. You know, I'm passionate about. And that's really what I was doing in Morocco was working with artisans in brass and leather, uh, in velvet and basketry. And it was it was amazing. It's just it it always is just one of those things that did I feel like a kid again every time I sit down to to begin that work.
0: So you really shifted from corporate to, let's say, I mean, organizations, which is a lot of not for profit. It's a lot of support. It's a lot of helping it makes you feel so much better, I guess. I can yeah, see it when you talk and you just, you start glowing and you, yeah. you have such a you're happy face. Something. Yeah,
1: you're doing something that, that makes a difference in the world and in people's lives. It is certainly about cultural and economic sustainability. Yep. And quite honestly, and not not at any point an exaggeration, if we as the rest of the world don't value the things that these indigenous artisans are making in these places around the world, really value them, not try to buy them for $2, you know, but really value them and give them their due that the master craftsmanship of generations, you know, is bringing to us. We will lose it in a generation because the young people don't wanna work for a dollar a day. You know, now we are connected so that they see us in the Western world, they see what we do, they see what we wear, they see what we have, and they want that. And if they don't feel as though they can have a life that is full in that way. And I mean it's not as though these other lives are not full, they're extraordinary lives. And and that's oh, something else I marvel at how much we think we need to exist <laughs> versus what other people in the world really, you know, think they yeah. need to exist. And that's and and, and finding that balance, right? But 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 if we don't value it, if we don't support it, it's going to go away. And I I it breaks my heart as an artist because I'm, I'm a person who believes in balance. Um, I know earlier we were talking about our, our signs and I'm not a Gemini. My partner is, but, but, but I'm a Taurus who's earthy and we believe in that balance of, you know, I love technology. You and I wouldn't be having this conversation without it, but we have to have the balance in the world. And I think yep. that that's part of what brings the balance.
0: Indeed, because you really help economically, culturally to build a sustainable system, because it's not about helping one artisan that say in FES or Marrakesh no. to to for one year get more money in. It's about right. something that's way more sustainable. How do you really, really help them? What What is the type of support that you give them?
1: Well, it's interesting. When I first started, I was going on all of these trips. Uh, My busiest year was 10 countries in 10 months. It was insane in the early days. Yeah, we don't do that anymore. But yeah, I am hired by the government of of, uh, countries. I'm hired by the um, Chamber of Commerce. I'm hired by NGOs and nonprofits, all kinds of people like that, or who the World Bank. I mean, depending on where a project is and what the focus is, I'm hired by all kinds of people. But the idea is that, you know, by and large, they have these projects like the Malian project, where it's a three-year project, and then they move on to another. And so what happens to those artisans after three years where you've helped them to build something up? How do they maintain or even receive? Because it usually will take that three years just to get a product that is of the quality that we need to be able to to export in a a bigger way. And so um, I found that to be the case for a few years and I was very disappointed by that. So in 2008, I started my own brand. And I had Carpenter and Company for eight years, and it was a textile brand that I brought in product from Bolivia because I'd had a three-year project there, and they made the most beautiful handwoven alpaca. At that point in time, no one even knew what alpaca was in the U.S. It was amazing how I had to train people on what this fiber is. But we did alpaca from, from Bolivia, and we did cotton out of Guatemala, and we sold to places like Bloomingdale's and Neiman Marcus and ABC oh Carpenter Home and, and small lifestyle stores all across across the world, literally Japan and Australia, we sold everywhere and I did that for a long time and I loved it, but it's very hard because most of it is not the creative part that I love most of it is chasing your money and paying artisans and figuring out trips when planes get canceled and you know packing and shipping and on-time delivery and where was the label on the box and, and you know and all of yeah. these things that are not the things that as a creative I wanted to do so I decided to be more of the link to those places for for companies and that's what we really do now But in terms of the way we do it we go in and there's uh often training around business development and product development the goal is not to change you know what they make the goal is to expand so that they can expand the market so sometimes it's a change in color often it's color Sometimes it's a change in a scale of a pattern to make it more, you know, acceptable in a Western as to a Western aesthetic. Uh, Sometimes it's making a different product, but using the same skill set and materials. So it really is about landing, spending time, understanding, you know, how and how they do what they do, where they get what, you know, raw materials, all kinds of things. And then taking that knowledge and, and melding it with the knowledge that I'm bringing and moving it along.
0: So, there's a lot of education going on as well, because yes. obviously they know at best how to produce whatever right. is ori- obviously originating from their country. Right. But it is a lot about more the production, the how, but I guess also the technology, right? Yes. Because it is the balance between artisan, but still technology, indeed, just like yes. you said. Otherwise, we would not be able to have this podcast right. done. But that's not very indifferent from those who are living in Brazil. Right. or in in Mali for example right
1: absolutely. No, that's definitely it. And so what we say is we train around, as I say, whether or not you want to bring a better product to your local market, I'm happy to help. If you want to do a regional market, then that requires another set of skills, Some, but but not you know more than what you would take to local, but, but still not all the way. And then if you want to do an export market, another set of skills. And now you start, to your point, really bringing in more technology because you have to learn about shipping and communications, long distance, and those kinds of things.
0: Wow. The coloring process, you just mentioned, sometimes it's about changing color. Mm -hmm. Uh, The beauty of it is, of course, they probably use local color, which is something that I think we all should start doing. And I know mass production, it gets difficult. I'm aware of that. But the coloring process of doing... Uh, colorful artisan products is different from mass production. How does this process inspire you? Because it's so different from what you obviously did at Oscar de la Renta <laughs> exactly.
1: <and Ralph> <laughs> yes, no, absolutely. One of the things that I love is in the last probably 10 years uh, from, the, from the artisan side, I've seen a rise in um, working with, with natural dyes in a different way. If you think about it, we on the in the Western side had sort of thought of natural dyes as com- comprising sort of one main color palette, which was very earthy. Mm-hmm. You know, sort of a little, a little, a uh, grade or or muddied, if you will, not necessarily clear, crisp color. And what I've ha- have found is that if you go far enough back in certain artisan work. They have formulas for creating all kinds of color naturally. And I love that. I mean, when I'll use, I'll use as an example, one of my favorite places was in Vietnam. And I was in the very northern part of the country, not where tourists come at all. In fact, people stopped and just came by and watched me because I was such an anomaly, you know, (laughs) sitting on the floor with these ladies, but we were dying silk. They were teaching me how they go out in the woods behind their huts and they go up into the trails. And there's certain trees that they bring down and they will cut open. And the outside of the tree, the bark will give you one color. There's a middle part that'll give you another. There's a heart that will give you another. And then we were dying with leaves, boiling the leaves. And and I love the idea of what you add as mordants to fix things, you know, so different types of foodstuffs sometimes. uh, Sometimes it's earthier things, you know, things from the earth that they will put in as mordants. And then we, I literally sat there while they, you know, they, they dyed this, they spun the silk from the, from the cocoons. They dyed the silk. And then I watched them create the, you know, we uh, set up the loom and then weave my patterning. So I just drew taking from patterns that they had there. And we created these beautiful scarves in a warm palette, a cool palette and a neutral palette is which I usually try to do with everybody because somebody is going to like something within that. And they wove these extraordinary scarves and shawls and I did I was there from that first moment. It was extraordinary.
0: What a moment. Yeah. I was just about to ask you what's your what's the story that kept with you after all these years, but I guess it's this one. I mean, there's probably many. Oh, there are many,
1: many, many. This many. is
0: quite particular. Vietnam. Yeah. Wow.
1: Yeah. But just because I was so far off the beaten path and you know, when you go to, to the the cities of Vietnam are very different than when you get out. Literally, I was up in parts that had communist flags and things flying because it it really is a very different energy when you get outside of the main cities and out into the, you know, into the rural, very rural areas. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So you were, you were this woman sitting there on the floor with those other women and we're just, you were just coloring
1: the police came by because they'd heard all the commotion about this crazy, there's someone here, you know, and they just came and they just stood and watched. It was so funny to see these guys in all their uniforms and all the little children and everybody gathered around and we were just sitting in, on the floor, this dirt floor, and they were explaining to me what the what the symbols meant within the weaving and we were pulling things to kind of make a beautiful story in the scarves. It was, it was fascinating. I mean, I love what I learn about the culture of places, the history of places. When I go to do this work, you'd be amazed at how much of the history is woven in or, or, or chiseled in or or carved in or whatever, when you're working here in these different places and how much you learn just about a place, just from working with their, their indigenous, the the beauty of it is working with the indigenous
0: people of a place. Indigenous artisans. Yes, indeed. What can people that are listening to this podcast, what can they do to preserve cultural diversity wherever they're listening from.
1: To me, it's about really searching out those products. And we're, they're more and more in the available. Certainly, I say they add warmth to the home. I also, you know, I mean, I have to be honest. I'm certainly the other side of my business is color and trend. and I'm working in the manufactured world. And, the, and they're beautiful things to be found there, as you and I both know. But I love the idea. And certainly, I, I have it in my home. I don't, I, you know, I don't, for you, I don't know what... You can see the basketry yeah. that's there. There's ma- I collect masks. There's masks going across. For me, it's about bringing this into your space because it adds that warmth, that human touch, that connectedness to the world. And I think if we just value that and look for those things to add, you don't have to turn your whole house into a museum, you know. But it's the idea of bringing this in and valuing it and being willing, as I say to pay more than two or three dollars. Don't think of it as the trinkets by the, you know, by the cruise ship when you're go when you're going on a cruise or, you know, something that you find in those those, you know, those those markets when you're traveling. It's really about you know, supporting master craftsmanship, the skill sets. Because I cannot tell you how many places I've gone that if I have if I've gone with a 10 year space in between. They often can't even make the same thing they made 10 years ago with the same finesse that they made it because the older artisans have died off and the younger ones don't necessarily have all of the techniques. And so we're already losing it. I can tell you the first time I've been working in Guatemala for over 20 years at this point and or just about 20 years. And they are. I mean, that's one of the countries that's very near and dear to my heart. I never really knew much about Guat. I hadn't even. It wasn't on my radar for traveling. And once I went, I was just. It's it's truly the heart of, of 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 Central America, and it 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 has such a beautiful and large and diverse indigenous population that's still very much about handmade in terms of how they they just live their daily lives. But there were two things that that have broken my heart in Guat. The first was that a shawl I bought on the first year, the first trip I was there. uh, I bought it actually in a shop in Antigua. At that point, I hadn't met those type of weavers. And by the time I was on a project where I met them, you know, getting out of the areas that I had worked in and going into some new areas, they couldn't even weave it's a stripe. It's a very, very... The stripe itself is probably about a quarter of it. Each stripe is about a quarter of an inch thick on mine. They can't even make it that fine. They're now about a half inch and they can't get finer. They just don't know how to do it to change on the on the loom that, that to make it that fine. And we're losing that. We're losing it generation after generation. That's one. And the second is I, I was there maybe... Five years ago, I always get confused with the two years that weren't, <laughs> as I say. We didn't uh, yeah. Right. But I went to a, a village where we used to do hand embroidery and machine embroidery for pillows that we did for Bloomingdale's and for ABC as, as um, exclusives. And we went to the market in the center of that town, and there are now... The women in, in Guatemala, the indigenous women wear a blouse. It's called a wee peel, just like in, in Mexico. Many, many people will know it more from Mexico than from what? And, and the skirt is called a corta, which is just the large piece of fabric that wraps around and they secure it with those beautiful embroidered belts. Right. All of the well, not all, but the majority of the women's wee peels were made in China. Oh, wow. they were they were cheaper than weaving their own. So, everyone was walking around in a knock-off, knockoff of what they make in that country, and it drove the prices of the real wheat peels up.
0: It's just, I, I've seen ha- this type of stuff, something's happening in, in Oaxaca, in Mexico as well. Yes, just, yes, so that's why I go for my color inspiration when, when I obviously I, I get the chance.
1: Yeah, I love Oaxaca, it's beautiful, yes. but yeah.
0: It's a sad world. I think we've already lost many things. I mean, um, like even if it's just very silly things, like making your grandma's dishes. Right? If you didn't get there on time, it, it's too late. And that's the same for for artisans. And it's um it's a sad thing, but you're doing great great work. So oh, I love it. You're I at least it. you're maintaining a certain level. But not only just for artisans, you are also a very strong ambassador for diversity in the industry. In our color design industry, fashion interiors, you name it. Yes. How do you think the industry has been evolving and how are you, what are you trying to do at least support this, this change in creating, you know, a wider diversity? Yes.
1: Well, it's very much needed. And thank you for, for bringing it up. The first thing, Certainly, I I do is show up and I show up knowledgeable, I show up well-spoken, I show up, you know, ready to work professionally. And I think that's something young people need to understand is very necessary in terms of being able to, to work in our industry. But the, the, the types of things that I've been doing lately was I, I co-founded the Kaleidoscope Project, which was this extraordinary project that we did last year with 23 BIPOC designers redesigning 21 spaces in an 18th century inn in Lenox, Massachusetts. And it was extraordinary because we worked with artists from our, our designers from around the world. I mean, sorry, around the country. We were, They came from as far away as California, Nebraska, South Carolina, the Philadelphia area, the Washington DC area, the New York, New Jersey, New Jersey, Connecticut area, and one from one town over in Great Barrington, Massachusetts. And this was done in Lenox at an inn that was uh, newly purchased and being renovated. He had three buildings on this property, and we renovated two of them. The other one was done, you know, by someone for for him specifically. I co-founded it with a woman named Amy Schwartzbard, who called me to say, "What can we do?" You know in this industry to make it more diverse and we, we, we brainstormed and, and she went to him and we got this pro- property. And the beauty of it was in the middle of COVID, 35 of our industry and the home decor side on the manufactured side donated pro- product that was going to stay. It wasn't like a typical show house where you do it and then you pull it out. This was going to live in the inn as part of the history of this wonderful inn. and. They donated to help make this, you know, a reality. So we had 18 rooms with ensuite baths. So 18 rooms, 18 bathrooms up in the two buildings. We had the lobby lounge, we had the bar, and we had the, the the kitchen and dining area. And there was a bathroom down there as well. So we actually did 19 bathrooms. In three and a half months, we renovated all of this. We tore it down to its slats. We couldn't move any plumbing, we couldn't move any electricity, but everything else was completely redone. And the rooms were extraordinary. These designers just knocked it out of the park. And those are twenty-three names that you need, you know, the industry needed to know, most of whom were not known by the industry at large. So that's one thing. And then from there we took twelve of them to speak at the Dallas market and twelve of them to speak at the um Las Vegas market and some to speak down in High Point. And we went on a behind the scenes tour at Cravet to see the new collections before the 2023 collections were released. And so we just did a bunch of things to, to, again, my, my goal there was to introduce these artisans to the industry in a broader way, but also to introduce the industry to these artisans. And so uh, these designers, I should be saying. And so, So that's been extraordinary. And that continues to have its legacy. People call me all the time and go, I drove by the parking lot is full. I know that the the, the proprietor booked three weddings
0: in the opening. People can still go and visit.
1: Oh, you can stay
0: there.
1: Yeah, you can stay there. It is the it is the Cornell Inn in Lenox, Massachusetts, up near Tanglewood, a great place to stay if you're going to listen to some music in the Berkshires. And so that is one thing that I'm doing. The other is I sit on the board of of the of the Bad Guild. I'm on the advisory board of the Black Artists and Designers Guild. And so we do a lot of work there. We over the last summer we gave away some scholarships to to BIPOC students. Um, I am on now on an advisory alliance the diversity, what do we just call ourselves? We have a new name now. It's it, the DAA, the Diversity Advocacy Alliance for the High Point Market Authority. And we're going to be doing a great deal of work around bringing more diversity to the market and to the city of High Point, and for them really opening up to the creatives in our industry of color. So I am constantly doing, doing that kind of work. And it's really important to me because the dialogue and the conversation is so much more broad when you bring all these voices in, and we all rise when we hear from all these creative voices. And I think it's very necessary in terms of moving our own, all of our creative industries forward.
0: Yeah, and it mirrors it mirrors your own perspective. It, it 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 changes your perspective. It makes you grow. It is it is what at least it was. It's what feeds me, you know. Yeah. That was the most difficult part about COVID: not being able to travel. Yeah. Being able to go to different countries, different cultures, meet people who are not like you. That's mm-hmm. the whole point, right? In the end.
1: Exactly. Opens up everything. It's yeah. wonderful. <laughs> yeah. So that, that's some of what we've been doing.
0: <laughs> color for true change is something that has been an upcoming topic in, in the podcast. It's something that I'm, you know, working on as well. And how, what is your vision on how we could be using just color? to change Mm -hmm. cultural, social, economical levels within societies? Well, certainly
1: one of the things we're talking about, and we're still in the very beginning stages, but there may be a conversation around that at High Point Market in the upcoming market. (laughs) But I think some of it really does have to do with the idea of being open to diversity, being open to the breadth of voices and, and, and aesthetics, that exist in the world and not so narrow, narrowly, you know, focused on on just one one standard of beauty, one standard of high style and design, one standard of true taste of taste. You know that I think that that when you bring these other things in, you under you, you open it up and understand that there can be many. That's that was our reason for wanting designers from around the country and not just, you know, the New York, New Jersey, you know, Connecticut area where, you know, we we're supposed to be the, the art you know, the Arbingers of high style, you know, or maybe LA, you know, that, that, that was something we wanted to break, you know, break as well is that there's, there's wonderful design, there's wonderful uh, style, there's wonderful creativity to be found so many other places. And we just need to be open to, to inviting that in, you know, and not putting up walls to keep it out. And, and so for me, that's really what it is with color, because I think when you hear from, these various uh, black and brown voices, there are other cultures that are being brought to the table. And those cultures have color aesthetics. You know, and so it really changes the conversation about how color can be used, where color can be used, how print and pattern show up, because that's really important in a lot of other cultures. We here tend to be very neutral, you know, and we tend to be very simple in our color choice, our pattern choices. There are bold, wonderful, exciting patterns, you know, that are happening all over the world that we're narrowing ourselves and not opening, you know, opening ourselves up to to learn about and to, to embrace,
0: yeah, that's something that we're seeing a lot in Europe as well. There's a lot of import and export now, but not necessarily just of products, but get to know Mexico, get to know mm-hmm. Brazil, get to know Egypt. You know, there's a lot of that happening. And I think that is indeed something that's very, it, it is part of globalization, of course. But I do think it's time that we broaden that view. Yes, I mean it's yes. As you mentioned in previous interviews, you know, that Europe was very for many years on the forefront of trends and, and maybe design wise and color. You think that's changed or is it changing?
1: I think it's changing. I don't think that it's changed completely. There are certainly things that that I, I was so disappointed that I wasn't able to get to Milan. But I, I had lots of friends and a couple of people there working, you know, sending me things. And it was it, it just seemed just so vibrant and so, so colorful and so, you know, exciting. And it's just about being in a place where design is the center of everything. You know, I love that. But the idea that some of the things that I see when I go, I'm the global train ambassador for Maison, so I'm at Maison every edition, and the kinds of things that I see there sometimes take a while to get here, you know? So that's why I continue to say it leads a little. But because of the advent of of, of technology, the internet, we can all see everything at the same time. My partner is a menswear designer at Brooks Brothers, a creative director, and he's he's currently working on um, the United Airlines uniforms. (laughs) But... Uh, we watch a lot of, because of Brian, we watch a lot of the YouTube, uh, you know, to watch to watch the, the, the fashion shows. And because I was in fashion, you know, years ago when I was in fashion, fashion led home fashion. You know, we That's were my sure. three years. You'd saw, you saw it come down the runway. Is that
0: still the case, you think? No, no I no? don't
1: think it's as far apart. That's what I was going to say. I think that they've gotten more closely related. And you do see similar colors. That's why for some of our boards, for some of the clients we use, I will put a fashion figure to show how it came down the runway and how that trend, you know, we see coming around over into into what we see in the home or in our spaces. Uh, I think they're very interconnected. It doesn't necessarily mean we'll adapt them as quickly in in the states, but I definitely think we're looking at them at the at very similar
0: timing now. Yeah, it's interesting, and the way you said that they're getting closer, you know, fashion and home, because it was it's been happening for a couple of years. But Edom, oh, yeah. uh, Armani. But that now is. also Dolce Gabbana. It's, it's, it's funny how you see they all, Troussardy, they all Fendi, they oh, yeah. all have their own collections, and yeah. they're really inspiring one another.
1: Yeah, they are. I mean, and some of those are some of my favorites, you know, in terms of just what they do. And what I also love that I think the, that Europe does... In a different way, and to my mind, one that draws me in a bit more is they take a lot more chances with textiles and fabrications. They, they really, you know, push the envelope in terms of, of new of new materials. And I really love that because that, I think, is certainly, that keeps us moving forward. That keeps it fresh. That's what's happening. You know, that's the future. Um, and I love, that's one of the things I always go to look at, you know, is what, what are things, not only what are the things, but what are they made of? you know, and then really? techniques of manufacturing are, are certainly incredible, you know, in many places in Europe.
0: What is next for color? Where do you see color moving?
1: Well, that's a good question. I think sort of what we what we talked about earlier in the beginning, I think is, is um, you know, some of those are some of the key places that I see color moving in the future. I think that certainly, you know, being in the color marketing group, uh, color sells, but the, the right color sells better. So the idea of being focused (laughs) more on color, you know, as as consumers, I think is what's one of the things that I see happening. Certainly my my friends and and family who know this is the work that I'm in are always asking what's the next one? What's you know, what's coming, what's new. So I and I and it more than before. So I feel like there people I think being at home for these last few years has focused us all on where we live, how we live, what we live with, why we've selected it and if it isn't satisfying and pleasing on a deeper level than just it it satisfies the purpose for the moment as we're running past it in and out when we've been forced to actually sit on that sofa and look at those shelf you know that shelving unit and walk on that carpet and all you know look at how we've stored our books or whatever the thing may be that we realize you know this is not fulfilling and so i think some of what's going to happen with color is that even though you and i are in the world of trends That more and more I'm challenged and I don't know if you're feeling the same way about, you know, I don't want to follow a trend. I just want what is what I like. And I think that that's going to in the same way we've seen it in fashion. I think we're going to see more of that in in um, in bigger, you know, in our homes, in our spaces that that they they they're going to do double duty. So the kinds of color that we're going to have around us are going to need to feel good, you know, for for um, for work. And then making a change somehow because that same table is going to become your dining table or that same room, you know, that you've been working in is your guest room, you know, and when people can start to visit again. So, you know, making making statements around color that that can either do double duty or that can change quickly into another. I think those kinds of things are going to be important and more big, big picture ideas, more macro kinds of things like that.
0: Yeah. Seasonality, I think, also is something that just has to go.
1: Mm, absolutely.
0: Mm. Also, well, also, because we literally have only one season in Italy, which means it's freaking cold and it's yeah. raining or we're all drowning in, in heat. So, I mean, that's the future. My last and I guess one of the most difficult questions, but I'm going to ask you anyway. What, lega- <laughs> what legacy do you want to leave behind?
1: That is, that's a really interesting question. Yeah. Um... For me, the, the, the work that I do with the artisans is really important. And so being able to say that I, for the time I was here and the work that we did that I helped, you know, to sustain that for a bit longer, that I made a change, of, you know, an impactful and real change in, in the lives of people and communities. I Most of our work is with 85 90% women. And we certainly know that it is a fact that when women, you know, grow and improve their situation, that communities tend to do the same. Men, sorry, not so much. Their families do better, but not necessarily the whole community. So being able to feel as though I've made some sort of impact in that world, being thought of, I've always I've always said this even from my, my time in fashion, being thought of by my peers as a as a good person and a and a a professional and someone that they wanted to work with and liked to work with because I enjoy my, my community, and I love working with it. And so I want, you know, I want people to feel that way about me. As a woman of color, to be a uh, someone that that young designers and creatives of color can look up to and say, there's somebody there doing that. And so I, I can do it because, uh, you know, we hear it over time and again, but it is absolutely true. If you don't see yourself represented, then you don't often feel as much like you can actually achieve something. You can, you can, you can have it as a, as a concept, but when you see it in the flesh, it is something that becomes more real and attainable for Changes you.
0: everything, yeah. yeah.
1: I know that from talking to classes. I, I speak at many of the design schools in our country and around the world. And so just being a person of color, a woman of color, for me, um, in this in this space, is I'm I'm unique in the world of artisan and development. I'm unique in the world of color and trend, and uh, I was unique on Seventh Avenue when I was there. So I know I'm kind of a a, a unique person, and, and and I want to use that. My my parents are both alive. God bless them. My mom's about to celebrate her 90th birthday in a week and a half. My dad will will have his in February. And um, that's a blessing. It truly is. My sister and I know that. So I'll be going down to D.C. to celebrate. Um, But I say that because the world is very different than when they came in and they didn't initially understand, you know, why would I leave a very good paying job at Ralph Lauren that I worked very hard to get to that level in my, in, you know, my career to do. And yet they were never anything but supportive for it, about it, because my sister's a writer and director. I, you know, I was an artist and, 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 and now do this work where I take all of this together. And so... Having that support's been everything, but understanding that they they knew that I was going to be knocking down some doors in terms of the, the way that I wanted to run my life. And they didn't, you know, they, they knew it wouldn't be easy. And I'm telling young people, it's not an easy thing to do, um, but it is a very rewarding thing to do. And so that legacy of, of follow your passion, be the change that I have it in front of me every day in front of my desk. You know, be the change you want to see in the world. You can't sit back and, and and hope someone else is going to do it. You've got to be out there doing it. So I want to be, you know, remembered as someone who was uh, a uh, you know a catalyst for change. Yeah, yeah, and moved well, our industry forward.
0: Well, I think you are, I'm, and I'm so very thankful for your time and all the the things that you've just shared. It's just been. Uh, amazing talking to you. And I think you have inspired a lot of people. <laughs> and uh, I'm thinking that you're going to get, you know, some <laughs> phone calls after this podcast. Hopefully. Well, I would like to, I'd like to do a pitch.
1: I am. A friend of mine, well, actually, not your, uh, Frederick from Global Views, I don't know if you know Frederick, one of the founders of Global Views, and I were having a wonderful conversation in Dallas a couple weeks ago at an event. And I said, well, I'm getting old. And he grabbed me by my arm and he said, stop that. You know, never refer to yourself as old. And it's it, it's true. I am not old. I am older. When I look at my parents, I certainly am not old. However, I know that I will slow down in the coming years and I would love to find somebody who's going to pick up the baton to continue the work that I'm doing, and several people come up to me, and so sort of go, "How do you do? How do I do what you do?" But I would love for someone to to be a sort of the, the the intern or the person that I'm starting to train to do this work. So I'm putting out a a pitch to say if it's something that you think you'd be interested in, by all means, you you will give them my information. Um, you can follow me on Instagram though and see some of it as well, at, at Patty C. Trendscope, with an I, for inspiration, innovation, and innovation. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's something that, that I'm really starting to think about is who will I hand this baton to because I want to. Um, I want to make sure that, that the work continues um, and that we don't lose it because it's so important.
0: It is. It is. And I'm, uh, I'm sure people are listening. Thank you so much, Patty, for being part of the color authority.
1: Thank you so much. I love it. It's such great work. I I love, I love getting to meet you all and I love our color chats. I'm going to encourage anybody who's listening to tune into the color chats that we have. They're really fascinating. They come up in lots of my conversation later, you know, I was just talking, (laughs) you know, it's really wonderful. And so, um, yeah, we just have to remember color cells and, and it's something that we all love to do. So we're happy to work in this world.
0: <laughs> Thank you, everyone, for listening to my episode with Patty. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please go to Apple Podcasts, rate and review the show, or indeed on Spotify, wherever you are listening. I'll be very grateful for that. We're going to go on a short summer break and then we'll be back on the 6th of September with the next episode with Sashi Khan. So stay tuned for that and have a wonderful summer.